Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your Wednesday, Thursday, whatever you want to call it, Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, we are here just minutes after the conclusion of AEW Dynamite, a show that got pushed one day back to Thursday to break down everything that happened on AEW and NXT this past week. Of course, NXT, the post-show coming out of NXT TakeOver 30, happened to be one of the brand's best shows of this pandemic era. Let's just call it what it is. But there is so much to get to on the show. It's going to be a little bit different the way it's structured as well. But we will get to all of that in a minute. Before we do, a reminder to please follow us on Twitter at Getting Over. We tweet every single episode as soon as it goes live, and we basically have live commentary throughout Raw, SmackDown, NXT, WWE pay-per-views, not usually live for AEW because I have to choose one or the other to watch live, but I do tweet my thoughts as I watch AEW normally immediately after I finish NXT on Wednesday nights. The point is wrestling commentary, post news all week, and you find out when the shows are published as soon as they go up on whichever audio app you use to listen to Getting Over. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Hopefully many of you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. And if you are, you can open that app right now. Actually, it's probably already open considering you're listening to the show. Find our show on the app, head down to the rating and review section, leave us five stars, let us know how much you love the show. Every single rating and review for this show helps us in multiple ways. I'm not going to repeat them as I always do. So please just go do it at this point. I'm sick of asking. I don't want to ask anymore. Once we hit like 500 reviews, I'll stop asking, but we're nowhere near there at this time. Anyway, huge show ahead today. We are going to break down, as I said, everything from NXT and AEW Dynamite. But because these shows are occurring one day apart, and that will be the same next week, they will not be on the same night. You will have NXT on Tuesday, and you will have AEW as currently scheduled for Thursday. Now that the NBA is changing its postseason schedule, we'll see what ends up happening to AEW. But they won't be on the same night next week, so I don't exactly know how I'm going to schedule things on next week's show. But what I can tell you for this week is I am taping the NXT portion Thursday morning, rested, relaxed after a good night's sleep, not having to watch four hours of professional wrestling in a row. And the second half of this show That is being taped immediately after AEW goes off the air Thursday night. So loaded show, a lot of somewhat immediate reaction from both. And let's get into it right now. I will start with NXT, of course, because that is the only thing that has aired at this time. And the big news coming out of that show is that the NXT championship has officially been vacated. Karrion Cross relinquished the title due to his separated shoulder. And of course, This is a difficult situation for Cross, but really there's no booking around a separated shoulder. Sometimes they can repair themselves rather quickly and maybe the title gets held in abeyance. Potentially they could have done an interim champion or something like that, but it seems like with the fact that he is relinquishing the title or that he has, I should say, relinquished the title, my expectation is he's going to be out for a significant period of time, six months or longer uh, at at this point. So if that is the case, 
You can't have him be champion, especially when you're trying to compete with AEW right now. Now, Karrion Cross told us on this podcast in an interview you should go back and listen to if you have not heard it already, that he was purposely holding back his promo work, which is roundly praised or was roundly praised when he was an impact as Killer Cross. And he was holding it back until it mattered, until, until he had a reason to speak on the mic. And clearly, this moment was supposed to be the type where he could showcase his skills. Having just won the championship, putting out a decree for the rest of the NXT locker room, unfortunately, he didn't get that opportunity, and he still had to cut a completely different type of promo. It was a good moment for him, either way. He came across really strong, and he indicated, or you believed watching him, that this is a guy, as soon as he comes back, whoever champion is, and we'll talk about that in a moment, he's going to take the title immediately back from them. So, you know, ultimately... He His initial build in NXT has been strong. His championship winning moment, maybe not the strongest, but Wednesday night on NXT, I felt he put himself in the main event picture, kind of saying, look, I am here and I'm here to stay, regardless of the fact that I have to drop this title right now. Unfortunately, he's not going to be able to capitalize on that immediately. We will see when he comes back. The fallout, the aftermath of this is general manager William Regal coming to the ring and announcing a huge, huge match for next week's NXT show. Johnny Gargano versus Finn Balor versus Tommaso Ciampa versus Adam Cole in a fatal four-way 60-minute Ironman match to determine the new NXT champion. Holy shit. I was actually hoping we might see a former champion, someone from the main roster like Andrade or Samoa Joe or whoever get involved as the surprise fourth person. But this is still incredible. It was also Regal's probably second best announcement all time besides when he did War Games uh, November, I think, two years ago or October two years ago. So it was a great job by him and it was awesome to see him in person again. I also like the touch where they had almost the NXT Board of Governors in a, in a room, uh, Albert, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and William Regal. By the way, William Regal at the front of the table, even though Triple H uh, leads the brand in actuality. I thought that was cool that they were trying to figure out scenarios in which they could use to determine the new champion, and ultimately they came out with this. It, it gave some gravitas to the entire situation. And this match, I mean, it's a hell of a booking. I think I said this on Twitter at Getting Overcast, you can follow us. I think I said something along the lines of there may be more falls and near falls and false finishes in this match than any in professional wrestling history, but I am 100% here for it. I am extremely excited about this match, as you should be. The only way I think this could be better than it already is or my anticipation level could be higher is if NXT figures out some type of sponsorship way so they can give us the 60-minute Iron Man match commercial free. If they can't do that, you're looking at probably four commercial breaks in this match, and that is going to make it a little bit tough to watch. But we'll see. I'm going to trust in NXT. Not going to get pessimistic about it. That said, this is going to be a tough match to handicap. And I'm going to try to do it now because this is the only show that's going to be taped talking about NXT before that airs. There's so many different things they can do. Considering Iron Man matches are determined by total falls, not who gets the pinfall or submission last. You could theoretically have two wrestlers tie because it's a fatal four-way and force a match 
the following week. People would probably complain at that, but if this match is amazing, then I don't know who would really care ultimately. It's almost getting two NXT championship matches in a row in back-to-back weeks. So I have a sneaking suspicion they're going to go with that booking. They're going to whittle down four to two and end up having another title match two weeks from now. But let's make believe they're not going to do that. The difficult thing here is out of Gargano, Balor, Champa, and Cole, Balor would actually be the only winner who would feel somewhat fresh. Gargano, Champa, and Cole, they were all involved in the title picture for so long. The matches were all great, but it did a little bit get repetitive. Now we're back at that spot after getting a little bit of a breath, a reprieve, with Keith Lee and Karrion Cross both getting elevated into the main event picture. Now they're not available. And I'm glad Keith Lee got called up, of course, but it speaks to my point. I think I mentioned it in the Ultimate Preview podcast ahead of TakeOver 30. That they should have had him win that match at TakeOver 30 and then have Cross fight for a rematch in a couple of months and then ultimately overcome his lone obstacle that he's faced in NXT, which is Keith Lee. Lee goes to the main roster and you go on from there. So if I'm booking this, I'm having Balor win maybe three to two to one to one or something like that as Champa goes for a tying pinfall only with time running out before it can be counted or before a submission, before whoever he's trying to submit submits. That sets up Champa as the next challenger, and you have a tweener, burgeoning face Balor, going up against Champa, and that to me is at least somewhat of a unique matchup that I'm getting excited about. Otherwise, a lot of this could really get repetitive. The only other option maybe would be heel Johnny Gargano as NXT champion, because we've only seen him in that role as a face. So I'm going back and forth. I don't think Cole should win, and I really don't think it would be the right decision to have Champa just win it right here. I think he should be the next person fighting for the title. But there are so many different ways they can book this match, so many ways that they can put it together that I'm just really excited to see what they come up with next week, as everyone should be. And the fact that NXT next week will be on Tuesday, this ends up being a really great hook for them to draw people into that show. And we just saw AEW have a significant amount of success airing their show on Saturday this past week, which is, I mean, you're talking about weekday to weekend. And yeah, they had a nice lead in with the NBA playoffs, but they were still over 700,000 viewers for the majority of that show. That's a huge success. I don't know if NXT is going to have that same success changing nights. I think people are really used to it being on Wednesday night. So it's going to be interesting to see, even though it's Tuesday, if they're going to be able to get people to realize that they need to tune in that night and see that show. Or if people are going to say, hey, you know what? I have other things I watch on Tuesday. I'll catch it on the WWE Network when they put it up there. And that obviously would not be great for NXT. The other thing is, look, we've talked about it many times. WWE does not do a good job promoting NXT, period, on Wednesday nights. So the hope has to be now that Friday night on SmackDown, which rarely promotes NXT, they at least once or twice to a Fox audience are telling them to catch NXT on Tuesday. And then next week on Raw, they need to heavily, like at least once an hour, probably twice an hour, remind people that NXT is on Tuesday because this is not a match that should be missed by anyone. I am extremely excited for this Fatal 4-Way 60-Minute Ironman match. I've only heard of one before 
Ring of Honor, I think, did it to crown their first ever champion. Who cares? That's nothing compared to this. So this is going to be remarkable and unique. And I'm just extremely, extremely, you guys know, as a big NXT fan, I'm very excited to see what they're able to pull off with this match. Now, that's not the only thing that happened Wednesday on NXT. Plenty else went down on the show. We had a tag team championship match where Imperium defended the titles against Brizongo, which actually won and is now the new NXT tag team champions. And all of you know, I am notoriously tough on Brizongo, but this was a nice moment and they're getting a long deserved opportunity to be champions. It was also a good match. And I like the finish because it kind of protected Imperium as a mistake ultimately led to their downfall. I assumed the title would change here considering NXT UK is restarting and theoretically they will be able to travel back quarantine for 10 to 14 days and then be able to compete alongside Walter over there. So the title change wasn't necessarily a surprise, but the result of it now is we have one less legitimate tag team in an already incredibly weak division, as you guys know, I've mentioned many times here. Still, Fandango, he's been contracted to WWE for about 14 years, Tyler Breeze for 10. That includes FCW and developmental time. And out of all of that, in terms of WWE and NXT, these are their first titles. Breeze is a double champion because I think he just won the Up, Up, Down, Down championship on that video game show that Xavier Woods or Austin Creed, I guess, in the video game world does. So a really big moment for Tyler Breeze, really big moment for Fandango. Excited to see them get the opportunity, but at the same time, still not overly impressed with the tag team division in NXT at this time. We also saw a lot of people step up or try to step up to Damian Priest over the course of the show. Priest, since joining NXT, he's always oozed confidence but it's been at another level since he's won the title. I like that the challenges are already lining up and it's particularly interesting now that the NXT championship is vacant. We saw Timothy Thatcher, Bronson Reed, and then the returning Austin Theory all state their cases early that they should be challenging him. It makes me think we might end up getting like a triple threat or fatal four-way number one contendership. Obviously they should not do that next week considering next week's show is only a two-hour show and one full hour is gonna be taken up by the NXT title match. So I'm not sure what else they're going to run on that show next week, but I I am guessing they'll hold the North American championship picture one additional week. Nevertheless, it is going to be interesting to see how NXT divides up its talent between the main event scene and the mid-card scene. Let's not forget there's other people who are out. Dexter Loomis, as an example, you know, he's injured. I think he hurt his ankle or his knee or something. He's not available right now. Velveteen Dream, wasn't on TV this week, despite being on TV the two weeks beforehand. Obviously, there's everything that's going on with him from a controversy standpoint. Do they feel like they want to put him in a title picture or are they going to try to come up with another method of telling people that, you know, they figured out in their world that nothing went on with him? So I I don't know what they're going to do, but it is interesting that they have all these guys and they basically have one title that's vacant and one title that needs a challenger and they need to figure out what the hell they're going to do to create brand new storylines for both because it very much seems like NXT is has reset itself, right? You have Keith Lee on the main roster, Karrion Cross is a new star but injured. A lot of the older stars are now competing for that vacant championship, but everyone else seems new and fresh. And it will be interesting to kind of see how that all shakes out and develops over the coming weeks. We also saw Tommaso Ciampa return Wednesday night defeating Jake Atlas in a squash match. Champa needed someone 
semi-legitimate whose ass he could kick, and Atlas was a really good option. The aggressiveness and that initial post-match attack, to me, indicated frustration. But the second attack, and that's awesome, brutal slingshot underneath the ring, I've never seen that before, that indicated a full heel turn for Tommaso Ciampa. So now you have Ciampa as a heel, you have Gargano as a heel, you have Balor kind of in between. Adam Cole, we thought it was going to be a face turn, but now you have Undisputed Era feuding with Drake Maverick, so maybe it's not. So what's the heel situation? Uh, what's the face situation? Whose face is in the main event right now? Maybe it's literally just Balor and no one else at this time. Uh, and I guess Dexter Loomis, if you want to consider him in that situation. Nevertheless, this was very exciting. Despite Champa being great in both roles, I'm not sure if him being heel is the decision I would have made, considering he really does need a true white meat baby face to be his foil. But I'm glad to see him back. He looked good in the ring. And I'm excited he's part of NXT again. So that's all positives. We also saw Shotzi Blackheart defeat Mia Yim as basically a replacement after Mercedes Martinez decided not to wrestle the match. I thought that was a little bit strange. The first thing I'll say is Robert Stone versus Shotzi Blackheart's tank. It may be the best feud in professional wrestling right now. I don't know what it is, but I legitimately cannot help but laugh every single time she runs over him. It's really funny. He screams bloody murder. It's just so overdone. I don't know. That type of comedy really hits me. The match itself was nothing special, but I did think it was good action. Blackheart getting the win after those two senton moves. It really makes me think Yim is headed to the main roster, either as a singles competitor, perhaps on SmackDown, where it seems like they may need some bodies, or potentially as part of Retribution. And if you looked at the six Retribution members, we talked about this on the show, uh, Tuesday show with Chris. If you looked at those six Retribution members from Monday night, Mia Yim pretty clearly looked to be one of those women. And I think that type of stable fits her and her gimmick really well. So I hope that is an accurate prediction and that she is indeed on the main roster and part of Retribution. I don't think there is much else she can accomplish in NXT. We had the Cruiserweight Championship match with Santos Escobar successfully defending against Isaiah Swerve Scott. If I didn't already use the siren, I probably would use it again. Holy crap, that was some match. I loved everything about it as expected. Incredible action between Escobar and Swerve, two guys who are true up-and-comers in NXT and really WWE as a whole. Some may have been bothered by the finish, but I felt it was appropriate, completely unique, and right in line with Escobar. Think about it. He's ditched much of the Lucha tradition by removing the mask and is now using that tradition to cheat. I think that's very smart storytelling and character development for Escobar. I've also never seen a loaded mask before, and it was great that the announcers were dumb to the concept and just played it off because now, coming in next week or even the week after, that gives Swerve something to complain about when he demands a rematch, and I definitely want to see Escobar and Swerve again. Escobar's season has returned. Kyle O'Reilly defeated Drake Maverick via submission. This match was created because Maverick called out Undisputed Era on social media earlier in the day. But I wish they told that story on screen. I believe I said this on Tuesday's show or last week, but when you're going to use social media to develop storylines, it's very easy to just take a screenshot of the tweet and put it on your screen and say, for those are uninitiated or not on social media, this happened and this is what led to the match. It gives it 
so much more perspective rather than just here's Drake Maverick fighting Kyle O'Reilly for no reason whatsoever. You also, at the end of that match, saw Killian Dane making the save. I thought that was interesting, and it continued the storyline where he has beef with Undisputed Era, but it would have been better booking if he teamed up with Drake Maverick. That's a real odd couple. I would have been really interested to see what they could do together. Maybe they still will, and it was just him temporarily being angry. We'll see where it goes. We also had in the main event, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez beat Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley in a tag team match. The booking of this match answered my questions from last week about why Rhea Ripley would get involved in a feud with Raquel Gonzalez when she was still going at it with Mercedes Martinez. It was a really exciting match. It helped get all four women over, and Ripley's loss was easily explained by Martinez's attack, and then Ripley noticing Shirai was in trouble, and despite being hurt and not at 100%, forcing the tag and putting herself in there to kind of help Shirai. Real babyface move there. It makes sense to put Ripley in this adverse situation with two heels because she currently is out of the title picture. Now, after being having lost to Charlotte Flair, after not being able to win the title in the triple threat match, she has an opportunity to build herself back up. She can get over Martinez and then get back over Gonzalez down the road and establish herself back into the main event picture, eventually challenge Shirai and maybe be the person who ultimately takes the title off Shirai. So I think really good booking with Rhea Ripley. Io Shirai keeps her in the Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez situation. Gonzalez maybe got her biggest win. No, not maybe, definitely got her biggest win so far on NXT. And Kai, despite having lost one-on-one to Shirai, can now still be involved if Raquel Gonzalez gets that opportunity. And maybe it's Rhea Ripley who ultimately costs Raquel Gonzalez if she does go one-on-one with Io Shirai. So I like what they're doing with the women's picture. And really top to bottom, this was, I said this at the beginning, this was a fantastic edition of NXT. It really was. Not just for a show after a pay-per-view, but there have been some NXTs where you're like, you know what? They're moving forward. Maybe some things feel a little bit hot shot. This almost felt as if Triple H and Shawn Michaels and everyone else involved with the storytelling there took a breath. They said, okay, not only do did we have plans for TakeOver, not only do we know what we want to do coming out of it, but we've been dealt a curveball. We're at least going to hit a triple with it. That 60-man Ironman match next week, it won't be bad. It may not be great. The hope is that it's great. But no matter what, with those four wrestlers, it's not going to be bad. So there's something to look forward to in the main event picture. They're going to have to change around some of their plans. But with Damian Priest, with Brizongo, with the women's division, with Escobar and with uh, Swerve in the cruiserweight picture, it really feels like NXT has reformulated and reconstituted itself back into what it used to be, which was a, a, a third brand, yes, but a developmental brand where there's a rotation of talent coming in and out and the storylines feel fresh and it, and it just feels like you're getting new things every week. And this episode of NXT was the perfect paradigm of that. It, it just told me that this company or this brand, I should say, is headed in a direction. We know exactly where it's going. And this is the groundwork that we're laying to get us there. So very proud and very happy of the show we got from NXT on Wednesday night. There were also a couple superficial items to kind of discuss coming out of the show. And let me hit that sound effect for the first one. We do have a DM slide from Jordan at Won't Do The Job. 
He said, question for the pod, Wade Barrett or Nigel McGuinness going forward on NXT commentary. I'm loving Barrett. So yes, Wade Barrett joined commentary with Mauro Ranallo still unavailable. Apparently it's family reasons that he's not able to join NXT at this time, be on commentary. And uh, it was great to hear Wade Barrett on this episode. He did a superb job throughout the entire show and he felt like a completely natural fit, especially alongside Vic Joseph. And my assumption is that they've never worked together before, but they, for a first time out, they just really gelled well together. Now he said he will be back for next week's show, which will be taped to air on Tuesday. So I assume we will not get Mauro Ronaldo for the Ironman match, which of course is a massive disappointment if that is indeed the case, but we'll see whether he's there or not. It will be interesting to see if this develops into a relationship between Wade Barrett, the real Stu Bennett, and WWE, because he did work out extremely well on that show. To answer your question, Jordan, I'm still partial to Nigel McGuinness, especially alongside Mauro Ronaldo. But if you told me that Wade Barrett is going to join SmackDown as the third commentator, or maybe replaces Beth Phoenix in that third chair, that's a win. I mean, he is really freaking good. Perhaps Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett will be the NXT UK team, and they will use him temporarily until Nigel McGuinness is able to do that show again. I don't know. In fact, I don't even know who the last NXT UK commentary team was uh, when it went off the air. So I just, yes, the answer is very simple. If they can find a role for Wade Barrett on commentary, they should absolutely bring him into WWE because he did a great job on Wednesday night. But no, I don't think he should replace Nigel McGuinness unless there's a situation where McGuinness is straight unable to be used for a period of time, in which case using Barrett temporarily would be great. And then hopefully they would find another role for him. But man, he was he was a joy to listen to. And, and he and Vic Joseph did a very commendable job on the show with Beth Phoenix kind of jumping in here and there. It was just as good. Look, I, I gave Corey Graves a lot of crap ahead of NXT TakeOver for the job he did on SmackDown the night before. But on NXT TakeOver, he did a great job. So there, look, WWE has a lot of talented people on commentary. And if they're able to add Wade Barrett to that stable, I was trying to figure out a way not to rhyme that, but <laughs> did not succeed. Uh, if they're able to add him to that stable, it would be a great fit. So I'm all for it if they can figure that out. I'm also not sure anyone noticed, again, superficial items coming out of NXT, but they did change their set. They not only moved the crowd completely out of the hard cam shot, they added two of the video screen Xs from the TakeOver Triple X set to the sides, and they added some pillars as well next to the big screen. The set looked really good. It was a massive improvement on what they were using in full sale previously during the pandemic. So while yes, WWE, it's pay-per-views, Raw, SmackDown, they're all in the Thunderdome, and NXT is not gonna compete with that, this was more visually striking and ultimately was an improvement from the brand. So I think they did a good job. I'm glad they put some thought and maybe money and effort into it. And those X's, you wouldn't really think about it because they were part of a triple X set and the X is a big part of that main logo. So makes sense to me. And I thought the set was brilliant. Now we will be talking AEW Dynamite momentarily, as I said, but it is being taped at a different time than NXT. So you're going to hear a little bit of music. And when we come back, we will talk all things AEW Dynamite from Thursday night. 
Hey now, so Silver King back here just minutes after AEW Dynamite went off the air Thursday night. And look, uh, I don't know kind of how to say this without getting people mad, but I thought this was another really second straight disappointing episode of AEW. You know, I was finding some things to really love about the show recently, but I think for the second week in a row, we ended up getting a two-hour show where most of the matches either failed to deliver or ultimately didn't pay off in any meaningful way, where what was more important almost were the storylines after the match was over, after the one, two, three, or after the submission, rather than the stories that developed in the ring. And, And as an AEW fan, as someone that watches this product and expects a certain type of wrestling, I was pretty disappointed to see that be the way this show was booked. So unlike some weeks, for me, there was a big overriding storyline this week. And that was the split up, it seems, at least as of right now, of the Elite. And it all got started in that four-team gauntlet match, which I thought was really smart booking in terms of the way it was scheduled. They took the top four teams in the rankings and they said, okay, three and four, you're going to fight. The next team in is two and the next team is number one. And, and if you're going to do a gauntlet match, you always wonder, hey, how do they come up with the order, right? And it always, kayfabe-wise, ends up working out towards the team that they want to win being last or lucking out with a win at the end. But in this case, the order made complete sense based on the rankings. I thought that was a very smart way to do it. So you started out with the Natural Nightmares and the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks won that. Then the Young Bucks and Best Friends. Surprisingly, the Best Friends won that match because of interference from Hangman Page. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that match finished up with FTR defeating Best Friends. Lots of the action in this entire match, these four matches or three matches, I guess, were good. The action was good and they kept to tag team rules most of the time, which is always a nitpick for me when I talk about AEW tag team matches. The only two things, though, actually worth mentioning coming out of this entire thing are the finish and Hangman Page's interference. With Page, at the moment, I did not really take it as a heel turn or him even turning on the elite, but rather a drunk guy or a guy who has issues with alcohol being conflicted about who his real friends are. And as far as the finish goes, while the story of working the knee was told during the entire match, so it made sense to do a knee bar submission, commentary was completely occupied, like talking about something else and totally missed the moment. Plus, the way like Knox, the referee, kind of went in to ring the bell away from the camera, nothing felt definitive. So it was a weird camera angle. Commentary didn't really sell it well. So the entire thing just felt like a letdown at the end where FTR winning that gauntlet match should have been a very big deal, especially considering it was a gauntlet match for a number one contendership. Now, while I loved this confrontation in that bar area, I do ultimately think it is a swerve. The obvious booking would be for Page to fight with Omega during their match against FTR, lose the titles, and then attack Omega in some way after the match with FTR, which one would expect would lead to the creation of the Four Horsemen that we all believe may be happening with Cody. Instead, I think he has a crisis of conscience in that moment where he has to choose. Saves Omega, and the Elite ends up reforming. Remember, this year, 2020, the first AEW Dynamite of the year, was with AEW heavily promoting 2020 being about the elite and its survival. Is this group meant to last? Are they going to stay together? And what we have been told over these 
nine months of television. Obviously, there have been some hiccups and changes due to the COVID-19 pandemic. People weren't available. They, they, you know, Hangman Page wasn't around for a while. But that's the storyline they've been telling us. It's they were successful, but there seems to be some dissension. Cody is kind of working with the Nightmare family here. He's completely distanced himself from the elite. Omega is kind of doing well with Paige, but they're not a quote unquote real tag team. The Young Bucks can't seem to reach the promised land and win those AEW tag team championships. And in the match they had with Omega and Paige, they lost that opportunity. So a lot of infighting. I think what ultimately will happen is the tag team titles will move away from the elite and that kind of will open everybody up. It gives Paige, let's say, the opportunity to maybe go after the TNT championship. Maybe he's the one who ultimately takes it off Brody Lee. It opens up Omega to go after either John Moxley or maybe down the line, there's a new AEW champion at that time. And then it opens the Young Bucks to go after FTR for those tag team championships. And by year's end, potentially, all four of those guys could have those titles and the elite is standing tall. So that is kind of where my mind is. I just don't really think they're going to have Paige truly split with the elite because if they were going to, I don't think they would have given away that moment in a short barroom segment on a Thursday night edition of Dynamite. I think they would have built it up in a bigger way. So I'm not buying it just yet, but there's a lot more from AEW Dynamite to talk about. We saw Lance Archer defeat the former NXT wrestler, Sean Maluda, in a squash, Maluda's Afa's nephew. And he wrestled in the Cruiserweight tournament and I think uh, had a handful of matches on NXT besides that. I guess for this, at least we got Archer in the ring, right? The stuff that followed with Brian Cage and Archer squaring off, it piqued my interest, but I just felt that the entire segment with all six guys was pretty sloppy. It also ran too long and that's gonna be a theme for this entire show. One of my favorite things on the entire episode was that quick video package they did with the contract signing between Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa using some of the NWA footage. I believe Billy Corgan voiced over some of that as well. I ultimately have really high hopes for this match at All Out, but as you will see, I'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, Again, the rest of the women's picture in AEW is just really, really rough right now. Up next was the John Moxley MJF contract signing. And I thought this was very good for a contract signing. MJF and Moxley both cut great promos, took each other down. That was nice. But I did think the entire thing dragged a little bit as MJF kept droning on, even though it was made clear that everyone had written the contract and Moxley knew what he was signing before he even sat down. In fact, they said as much on commentary, but he's just trying to convince him over and over and over again. Moxley's the champion. He's already agreed to the match. You're sitting here there you're you're sitting there at the table to sign the contract. Let's move on, right? So again, I'll mention it in the main event. The main event was very short for AEW Dynamite. And I think that Archer Cage segment, this segment with MJF and John Moxley and another we'll talk about in a little bit. I just have a feeling they all ran each of them like two, two and a half minutes too long. And that's why we got into that situation in the main event. I did get a uh, DM slide here. From Eldred Ryan at Acme, A-K-M-E, Tunes. He said, next week, Moxley versus The Lawyer. I thought this was an alternative to sports entertainment. Uh, You know, I try not to kind of get into that, but when you're right, you're right. I mean, people are out here cheering that Moxley's gonna have a match with The Lawyer and hit him with the paradigm shift. But if he did that in WWE, people would be criticizing how corny it is. So... 
I mean, it's kind of hypocritical and it is a little stupid. If, if I'm being honest, I don't need to see him wrestle a lawyer. I don't need to see him hit him, hit a lawyer with the paradigm shift. I mean, maybe if that segment next week provides some type of entree for MJF to, and Wardlow to attack him from behind and no one's there to save Moxley, he gets laid out. Okay, there might be some value to it. But in terms of that booking, John Moxley versus a lawyer, that's very WWE, you know, 2018 high level of criticism. And it's not getting that right now for AEW, except from right here. I'm criticizing it. Stupid. Uh, next, we did get that great promo from Santana and Ortiz. I love these guys and everything they bring to the table. There's almost never an occasion they're on screen and I'm not entertained by what they are giving me. They are the one talent not affected by travel that I feel has been completely underutilized by AEW. I also believe they would have legitimately been better off in WWE this entire time. And if you remember when AEW initially signed them, WWE had apparently a very large contract out on the table for them to sign. People were getting excited about the idea of Santana and Ortiz against the Usos and things like that. Think about the state of WWE and NXT and the tag team divisions right now. Now imagine if Santana and Ortiz were there. They would be the top active team today in the entire company. Then when New Day, the Usos, AOP, etc. all came back from injury or from sabbatical, you know, depending on the team, they would have an incredible level of competition. Is it the same level of competition as the AEW tag team division? Absolutely not. AEW right now, best tag team division, honestly, maybe in the world. But if Santana and Ortiz had taken that opportunity and gone to WWE, you're talking about a team that probably would have already been champions once, if not twice, and would probably have skipped NXT and gone straight to the main roster. Or if not, would have won the titles in NXT pretty quickly and then jumped to the main roster and already been champions. That's how good they are. It's how talented they are. And even though they're in inner circle and that works out well, they're great as part of that stable with Jericho. It just feels to me like they've gotten completely lost in the shuffle. And look, every week I watch Dynamite and every week they add another tag team or another singles male wrestler or another women's wrestler. And their roster is insanely huge right now. The AEW roster is bigger than the Raw roster or the SmackDown roster or the NXT roster. Meaning, you know, it's not as big as WWE's roster, but it is enormous. And they only run two hours of television. So I know they're adding that additional show on TNT, I guess that, or, or on a Turner network, I guess that should be coming. I know they do AEW Dark, although the, the viewership for that is obviously not what their television program is, but they are really loading up that roster. And I think they're going to suffer from some of the things that people criticize WWE about, which is talent getting lost. And you're seeing it right now, in my opinion, with Santana and Ortiz. They had, we had another eight-man tag team match. The Lucha Bros, the Butcher and the Blade, defeated Joey Janela, Sonny Kiss, Brian Pillman Jr., and Griff Garrison. This is like the sixth time in two weeks where the match that they had was ends up being completely worthless and only for storyline purposes. That isn't always a bad thing, but it's not what I expect when I watch AEW. This was a bad match. And while I like the faction with Eddie Kingston, their only goal as of right now, just being the Casino Battle Royal, that's a bit of a letdown for me. Next week, by the way, we have another eight-man tag team match, which means this will be like the fifth or sixth week in a row 
where we have an eight-man tag team match, a 10-man or a six-man. And almost all of those weeks have been eight-man. The first one was incredible. It seems like they struck while they, they saw something that was successful and they're now trying to strike while the iron's hot. But none of these other matches have lived up to that first one. So I don't know why they keep doing this. I guess it's just to get people on TV. But again, this is something WWE was heavily criticized for. And yeah, occasionally, I think with AEW, some of them are resulting in storyline, but a lot of them aren't. And it's just wearing on me, at least as a viewer. We saw Brody Lee and the Dark Order celebrate his TNT championship win. And look, I know I'm just coming off as a huge critic here for AEW, but it was a rough episode, man. And this entire segment was difficult for me to watch. I saw a ton of people liking it. So so respect where it's due. It seems like a large portion of the viewership really liked this. And apparently Dark Order is doing great things on being the elite. I have not caught up with that probably for about six weeks. So maybe I didn't enjoy it because I'm not watching Being the Elite right now, although I do plan to catch up. But this just did not hit for me. Brody Lee telling independent wrestlers that their chances are over. That was a bright spot. Well, okay, there were two bright spots. Uh, that and Anna Jay coming out there, you know, looking like uh, Io Shirai. That's the most action I've had all year. But this is just not an act I really like. And the resolution of it was seeing the natural nightmares come out for a second time in one night plus Scorpio Sky and Matt Cardona because they have Cody's back and he's out of action. Okay, so what is that? I don't know. It's nothing that's exceptionally entertaining to me. I did like seeing uh, Ty Conchi later on the show accepting the contract and I guess accepting to join the Dark Order faction. I always thought she had some really good developmental skills in NXT. She was unique in the ring. She has a unique character. So I'm glad to see her get another chance with AEW. As I said earlier, though, another situation where they just keep adding talent. Uh, The women's match. Oh, man. Big Swole defeats Penelope Ford and Reba. This was awful. (laughs) Straight up, it was awful. Let's not forget that Penelope Ford just challenged Hikaru Shida for the women's championship a a month ago, a couple months ago. And that was a damn good match. Like, I was shocked how good that was. And on that show, it was one of my favorite. This was a total disgusting mess. I don't think anyone got over, including Big Swole. And I mean, I didn't like the booking going into it. I really hated the booking coming out of it. And then we had the main event, Sammy Guevara defeating Matt Hardy in a tables match. And my criticism for this is not the work because man, I was looking forward to this match all night. In fact, it was the thing I was looking forward to most for the entire show. But the match began with like eight and a half minutes left of TV time. And then as soon as they rang the bell, they went to commercial. So clearly multiple segments went long. As I mentioned, I think MJF and Moxley, Archer and Cage and the Dark Order celebration in particular. But then we get the match in the small screen and eventually on the bigger screen for the final three minutes or four minutes of the show. And it's tough to evaluate a match like that because they did about 16 minutes of action in a five or six minute window and all of it was rushed. It was a little bit sloppy. Sammy got cut. I I think he got busted open by accident. Again, I don't think it was on purpose because of what he did to Hardy a couple weeks ago. So he gets busted open, but you don't even get to savor that in the moment. And then Hardy goes through a table earlier, but commentary, they knew it wasn't the finish. So they try to clarify, well, no, even though he went through a table, that doesn't count. He didn't lose here. The finish was good enough, but 
Sammy, you know, Hardy slipped on the top rope. I don't think he was supposed to. Even if he did, that's okay. So uh, Sammy hits the uh, suplex from the top rope, takes him through the table, which is a sick spot. Really good finish to the match. But he barely gets to indulge in a victory that had been built up in a match for a really long period of time because they had to rush the Orange Cassidy attack on Jericho in the final 30 seconds of the show. So it was chaos on top of chaos. And I was just disappointed because like I said, they had been building the Sammy Hardy match for so long. And I can't see something other than this being the resolution. I don't see how they do another match beyond this. So to me, that's a really disappointing end to a feud and rivalry that was actually one of my favorites going on in the company. So ultimately, and I do have a couple things to talk about with AEW, just as I did with NXT before we get out of here. But ultimately, you know, two weeks in a row now, I have found AEW to be pretty weak from a show perspective. And going up against NXT this week, I mean, they didn't go head to head, but when, you, when you're when um, you evaluating them show to show, I, I said earlier, NXT had one of the strongest episodes they have had this entire pandemic. And this week, if you're going apples to apples, I think NXT blew AEW away. I mean, you're talking NXT like A minus show and AEW a C plus or maybe a B minus show. I love the development storyline with Young Bucks and Hangman Page. I like that we got to see Lance Archer on TV. Moxley being there always raises the rent. But other than that, a lot of it was really, really disappointing. And I think if you're going to take an honest look at AEW, if you're going to praise them for their successes, you need to criticize not so much their failures, but where they take a step back. And I did feel like this week was ultimately a step back. Now, a couple other things just to wrap up on AEW. We did have Chris Jericho on commentary. I've discussed before that there's two different versions of Jericho on commentary. When he's there to actually do the job, he's naturally funny. He calls the action well, and he gets other people over. When he's there to be a heel, it's grating and incredibly annoying. Tonight, it was the former. He did a fantastic job, very enjoyable. And I loved the joke right in that first match or in that first uh, gauntlet match um, about best friends being number two. He's like, yeah, they sure are. Made me pop huge, very funny. But Jericho, he just has such a deep knowledge of wrestling. He, he gets along clearly with Tony Schiavone and JR. So it just works so well when he's in that position. I don't think he should be there all the time. I would prefer their normal announced team be back sooner than later. But when he is given that opportunity and he is not doing it for an angle, Jericho is a really good fit on commentary. And I could see him eventually long time down the road being in that spot. As far as fans being in attendance, I just know you guys are going to ask me about it. Look, I hate it. I've already been pretty tough, though, on AEW in this episode, so I'm not going to go on another rant here, but it's unnecessarily dangerous despite whatever precautions they think they're taking. And while some moments on Thursday, it did add to the program, Jericho's walking out, Moxley and MJF in that moment. There There were moments where it really mattered. Most of the time, you didn't even realize they were there. So when you take that into consideration... Is it really worth it in the end? Ultimately, as a viewer, I don't think it is. I don't think it's necessary to have them, but AEW feels like it can. And look, if it follows up with them and it's determined that these people didn't contract COVID and they think they can do this safely, that's great. Just remember, unfortunately, with coronavirus, all it takes is one time. And that is the scary and disappointing part for me. But you know, not going to harp on them. They're trying something. I hope it works out. I hope everyone is safe. 
And ultimately, if that is the case, then better to have fans than not have fans. But we'll have to see how it plays out over a longer period of time. That is our full breakdown of NXT and AEW Dynamite. Again, two pretty different shows this week. And next week, I'm expecting two pretty different shows as well. For NXT, we will be getting that Super Tuesday show where we will have a fatal four-way Iron Man match. Holy cow, between Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Finn Balor, and Adam Cole. That happens on Tuesday. And then we will have AEW Dynamite airing Thursday, September 5th, two days before All Out. That is going to be incredibly interesting. What I'm thinking about right now is doing our normal WWE episode on Tuesday, doing a very short 30-minute NXT episode early Wednesday, and then coming back on Friday morning and doing an AEW All Out Ultimate Preview where we also recap Dynamite from the night before. I think that is going to have to be the move. And what that means is you'll also get an AEW All Out Instant Analysis Saturday as soon as that show is off the air. The All Out card, by the way, it's strong. So, you know, you can say, hey, I'm being a little bit critical on Dynamite. I am, that's fair, no doubt about it. I'm very excited for All All Out. I think it's a very, very strong card and I'm excited to see what AEW does. For its pay-per-views to this point, they have almost exclusively been successful. I can't think of another term to describe one of their shows that was not positive. They've all been at least good. None of them have been bad. So All Out, knowing how important it is for the company, knowing how strong the card is already and they're probably gonna add one or two more matches, I am very excited for that. But look, There's going to be a lot of talking this week uh, coming from this podcast. Friday night, as soon as SmackDown is off the air, we will have your WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. And then Sunday, as soon as that pay-per-view is off the air, we will have WWE Payback Instant Analysis. A ton of wrestling audio still coming your way. The Silver King is tired, folks. It is late on Thursday night. In fact, it's so late, I got someone special here to say goodbye. Elizabeth, come on out here, man. We got something going that's really big. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going, yeah. We into the twilight zone, yeah. And how Corgan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Okay, let's say goodbye. And thank you all for listening. Until Friday night, bye for now.